So hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Today, we're going to talk about chloroquine death lies, an interview with Dr. Robert Epstein on how big media contorts elections, the official COVID-19 numbers in America, and finally, U.S. more prepared for the pandemic than any other country. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. So welcome again to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. There was a very unfortunate case in Arizona uh, of a man and his wife, a, a couple, who heard President Trump speaking about the possibility that a particular drug that has in the past been manufactured, in fact, approved by the American FDA for treatment of malaria, how that drug may also prove to be effective in fighting the coronavirus. And so there's been, you know, as soon as this President Trump, uh, of course, as soon as he uh, ran that story and spoke about that, the radical left, anti-American, anti, you know, the Democrat media mob pounced on him. And how can he say this? And how can he mislead us? This is ridiculous. You know, this couldn't be true, blah, 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 blah. So. Um, what happened was the media is uh, running this story and mischaracterizing what President Trump said, and an Arizona man and his wife died after ingesting chloroquine phosphate. And let me make something clear. The, the drug that may or may not be effective, it appears it may, in fact, some tests have shown it was effective in, in treating some people who were suffering from the coronavirus, but the name of the drug that the people consumed was chloroquine phosphate. This is a cleaner, a cleaning product they used for their fish tank, for their aquarium they had at home. The wife literally heard something on the news about chloroquine, said, hey, doesn't that sound like the thing we use for our fish, our fish tank cleaner, our aquarium cleaner? So they ingested a small amount of this product, chloroquine phosphate, mixed it with some water and drank it. So they both became very ill. Uh, and sadly and unfortunately, the husband passed on. Uh, they did get to the hospital, husband passed on, wife is very ill. And so naturally the media, because they cannot ponder the notion of giving President Trump you know, any credence, they can't, they look for reasons to attack and destroy him. The media went with the story right away. Oh my gosh, you know, Trump is putting out this idiotic idea that we have a possible cure for the coronavirus and look what happened. Some poor couple in Arizona tried it and they died. I'm very sorry that couple did that. I'm very sorry they, they ingested something that had a similar name to the actual drug that is potentially going to be used in treating coronavirus in America, but those are two different products, two different drugs. This couple, and, I'm, and again, sorry they did it. I'm sorry they did not check with their doctor, check with a local official, check with someone, but instead just chose to ingest this uh, substance, which was their fish aquarium at their home uh, tank cleaner product, and they drank it and they died. 
This has nothing to do with the potential efficacy of the chloroquine drug that President Trump has been, uh, chloroquine drug, and um, the, uh, that has been used effectively in France. In fact, it is a French outfit that has been doing the research, a French doctor who had tested and mixed his chloroquine with, with another uh, product uh, with the idea of actually, tr actually treating people who had contracted coronavirus and has a, had a fabulous success rate. He had a, I mean, actually as against a, um, a, a, a uh, test group and a, uh, using a placebo, the group that ingested this product, this, this testing um, doctor in France used, actually had positive results, actually found people recovered from coronavirus. And I am spending the first five on that story just to say the media lives and dies to destroy President Trump, to mock, to ridicule. He did not ever tell people this is what you should do in your home. He did not advise people to go get the product they use to clean their fish aquarium at home and ingest it themselves. This unfortunate passing of the couple in Arizona does not in any way undermine the very positive potential that there may be some product, some drug already approved by the FDA in treating malaria may be potentially efficacious in helping people recover from coronavirus. In fact, as the coronavirus spreads, people are observing that in countries where malaria is common and therefore where this anti-malaria drug is common, they have far fewer cases so far of coronavirus. So uh, wrapping it up, I just want to say there's just a, uh, a world of uh, effort on the American left to whatever possible good news comes out about handling coronavirus, uh, testing numbers that are good, recovering numbers that are good, stories that people recover. If anything good comes out, the left is ready to pounce, the left in the form of the mainstream media, ready to pounce to claim that there really isn't any reason for hope. As a matter of fact, this is the most dismal, ridiculous, extreme disease and, and nothing. there's no good to ever come. It's just a, a, a darkness that the left has become engulfed in, honestly and sadly, with the hope of having this horrible pandemic around the world somehow be their magic pill to take President Trump out. They've tried effort after effort after effort, making clear, I'm not saying that the coronavirus pandemic or epidemic is a hoax. I am saying the left is using this pandemic to try to destroy President Trump. It's exactly what they're doing. It is what they have done on issue after issue, finding some way to remove a popular president whose policies are working, whose policies are bringing back the American economy, this, the roaring economy we had in just in, until the last couple of months, due entirely to the policies President Trump has followed, which are basically the free market policies that everyone knew worked for so long and that the left fight so hard because left, heaven forbid, they have to support free market policies. And that, my friends, is today's first five. And as I told you at the beginning of the show today, we have a great guest joining us. In fact, we've talked about him on this show before, and today we have the great pleasure of having him join us by phone. I'll tell you briefly, introduce you to him. His name is Robert Epstein, Dr. Robert Epstein, and he is someone whose name you might recognize because he was the individual testifying in the United States Senate 
in an exchange back and forth with Senator Cruz on the subject of what to, to what degree and how Google and other social media can orchestrate or manipulate the outcome of elections. But before we bring him on, I'll tell you other things about him. He is an American psychologist, a professor, author, journalist, uh, has a PhD in psychology from Harvard University. Uh, he's been a commentator all over the place, National Public Radio, Voice of America, and even Disney Online. Uh, he's a writer, but the reason that many Americans became aware of him is because of what he learned and discovered during the 2016 elections concerning the ability of Google to manipulate people's thought about elections. So I believe we have Dr. Robert Epstein available. Hello, sir. Hi there. Dr. Epstein, I just want to, first of all, uh, I mentioned to you before we started today, many people comment. Uh, in fact, I, I believe I played this segment on my show before of your testimony in front of the, in, in the United States Senate, in front of the Senate Judiciary Subcommittee on the Constitution uh, of, in July of 2019. But I want to have you start by just explaining to our listeners what you discovered about the ability of Google to manipulate the views and opinions of voters that actually may have impacted the election of 2016. Tell us all about it. Well, sure, there's two kinds of activities uh, that I've engaged in that really uh, tell the story uh, of the power that Google and some other companies have to uh, shift opinions and votes on a massive scale. Uh, so one part of what I've done has to do with uh, controlled experiments I've been conducting since early uh, 2013, so that's a long time now. And these experiments show that uh, if one candidate is favored in search results, uh, and people can't see that, I mean, you can't look at a bunch of search results and tell and, and see that they favor one candidate over another. You'd have to you'd have to click on all the search results and look at the web pages, and then you'd have to kind of compare the web pages. You know, people don't do that, obviously. But the point is, if indeed one candidate is favored, um, people trust those high-ranking search results so much because they're coming from Google and because they're generated by a computer, so they must be objective, <laughs> that uh, whichever candidate is favored ends up, uh, it ends up shifting the opinions and the voting preferences, not of everyone, but of the undecided voters. And of course, the undecided voters uh, in close elections, they decide who wins. Uh, that's why so much uh, money pours into the so-called swing states uh, in the months and weeks leading up to an election. Uh, the point is that uh, search results alone, biased search results, can easily shift 20% or more of undecided voters up to 80% uh, in some demographic groups. And that's after one search. So, you know, Google is, if they're hitting people with biased search results over and over, multiple times a day for, for you know, for many weeks, obviously they can have an enormous impact on the outcome of, of an election. Um, I calculated that as of 2015, because a lot of elections are very close, Google's uh, Google's search uh, algorithm was determining the outcomes of upwards of 25% of the elections in the world. And, uh, and I'm sure that percentage is higher now. But there's a second kind of thing I've done as well, and that is to uh, measure directly the bias in the search results 
uh, that Google, Bing, and Yahoo uh, were showing people both in the 2016 election and the 2018 election. So I set up uh, the first ever uh, monitoring systems. They're called passive monitoring systems because no one knows that they're running and Google can't see them. And those systems are kind of like the Nielsen ratings. You know, the Nielsen company uh, has families and their identities are secret. And uh, Nielsen uh, has some special equipment in their homes that allows Nielsen to track, you know, their television yep. watching. And I developed similar kinds of uh, technology that allowed us to basically look over the shoulders uh, of a diverse group of American voters in 2016 and 2018 and see what Google, Bing, and Yahoo were showing people. And we found in both of those elections a uh, very strong liberal bias. And I I am pretty much a liberal and I like liberals. My whole family, is, they're all liberals. Uh, but that bias was enough to have shifted in 2016 between 2.6 and 10.4 million votes to Hillary Clinton, whom I supported, without people knowing and without leaving a paper trail for authorities to trace. In 2018, that bias that we measured, if that had been present nationwide, that, that would have shifted upwards of 78.2 million votes to Democrats. Uh, that would, would have been spread across hundreds of elections, but still, uh, you know, again, this is occurring without people's knowledge and without leaving a paper trail. This is an extremely dangerous kind of power that these companies have. It's basically subliminal uh, influence occurring on a, on a massive scale. That's interesting you use the word subliminal. That is so funny because when you were speaking, I was thinking about that, how people who are impacted by this don't know that it's happening. They don't realize. They think they're, as you said a few minutes ago, when people search on Google and other places, the assumption, unless you're familiar with, with your research or generally speaking with the conduct of some of the social media companies, you assume you asked it a question and you just got straight answers. And so, again, I want to be clear on a couple of things, because the numbers are kind of amazing that you were just saying. I believe I was taking notes correctly, but in the 2016 presidential election, this bias on the part of Google, and this is in response to search result inquiries, would may have shifted between 2.6 to 10.4 million votes toward Hillary. That's, That's simply staggering. Okay, and these are distributed geographically, or they're, they're mainly, is, is Google operating in this way mainly in swing states in places where they really could change things well in 2016 we had 95 uh we call them field agents in 24 states uh we weren't singling out swing states exactly but we were concerned to see whether uh, that bias was occurring maybe just in blue states and not in red states uh, in fact it was occurring in both blue and red states uh, so there was a pro-Hillary bias in all 10 search positions on the first page of Google search results in both blue and red states, and no such bias uh, occurred on Bing or Yahoo. It was just Google. And of course, Google is all that counts since um, yeah. more than 90% of search is done on Google and uh, the next biggest search engine, Bing, uh, only draws about 2% of search.
Is that right? I was actually going to ask you, Bing is the one I've heard people say, well, if you're upset about Google being so biased, go with Bing, but it's, it's not a particularly um, impactful if it's only 2%. So do the people who work at Google or the representatives of Google, when they became aware of your research, do they acknowledge that this exists or do they refute everything you're saying? Well, the, the official statements from the company always uh, simply refute over and over again uh, you know, all of the various uh, public statements I've made and the publications, uh, you know, that I've published and so on, uh, they just keep denying. They just deny over and over again. Uh, but at this point, we have another source of evidence beyond my own uh, research, and that is we have whistleblowers, we have leaks of emails, we have leaks of documents and leaks of videos. And all of those simply confirm what I have been warning people about uh, since really since 2012 in one way or another. And all of these these leaks and the whistleblowers are confirming what I have been saying. Let me I'll just give you a quick example. Uh, in 2016, I published a very long investigative piece for US News and World Report, and it was called The New Censorship. And it was about nine of Google's blacklists because that's one of the ways that uh, Google uh, controls opinion is by censoring, that is suppressing content. They suppress content that they don't like, period. And a lot of that is, in fact, conservative content. They sometimes suppress progressive and socialist con content as well. You know, they do whatever they want to do. But the point is, I wrote this long article back then about nine of Google's blacklists. I had never seen them and Google never acknowledged having such things. When I testified before Congress uh, last summer, right before me, a representative of Google testified and he was asked under oath by one of our senators, does Google have blacklists? And he said, under oath, no, no, Senator, we do not. Now, the fact is a few months later, Zach Voorhees, who had been at Google as, as a senior software engineer for eight and a half years, walked out of Google, this was a few months after that hearing, walked out of Google with 950 pages of documents and a video. And among those documents were two of Google's blacklists. And they were actually called blacklists. <laughs> now that's, that's just silly. I mean, they should have called them something else. But the point is, uh, you know, I, I was stunned. I mean, you know, here was confirmation uh, I mean, it, it, undeniable. I mean, confirmation of what I've been warning about uh, for years. Uh, you know, so so point is, we at this point we have at least three sources of evidence. We have my experiments now, which I'm, which which have involved now tens of thousands of people uh, in multiple countries uh, involving four national elections, uh, and uh, or five national elections. I think at this point. Uh, and we have uh, my monitoring projects from 2016 and 2018, and we also now have uh, the whistleblowers' uh, documents and videos from Google itself. So when you were testifying in the United States Senate and you had that famous exchange with Ted Cruz, who I thought was entertaining because he actually asked 
Uh, and just to confirm for everyone, you know, you you are a Hillary Clinton supporter, and you said yes, I am. I mean, that was really uh, it gives so much validity, first of all, obviously, to what you uncovered, and also just I want to commend your integrity because I think that a lot of people, if they're very politically minded, they, in fact, many people I think on the left do recognize that the mainstream media is biased, Google's biased. But they kind of like the bias, so they just think, well, that's, hey, you know, yay for us. We, we've got a little leg up there. So I really commend your integrity. But I want to ask you, so you're in testifying con in front of Congress. Was there some goal you were aware of that the Judiciary Committee or the Congress was looking at, a legislative goal to try to fix this problem? Or was it just to expose it? Well, that's... Uh... That's a tricky matter. There, there are certainly individual members of Congress on both sides of the aisle who are very concerned about uh, the almost obscene power now that big tech companies have to uh, influence opinions, attitudes, beliefs, purchases, votes. So there are definitely some individual members of Congress uh, who are deeply concerned and who are talking about that. Now, that's very different, of course, from uh, introducing legislation that might make matters a bit better. Um, there doesn't seem to be any prospect of that occurring. I had a, a, a four-hour private dinner with Senator Cruz uh, a month or so, uh, or a couple of months, I guess, after that hearing. Uh, we had a Fantastic discussion. The man is extremely smart and uh, I really enjoyed every minute of it. We didn't talk politics. We talked about technology. He's he's a he he gets it. I mean, he really understands what's go, what's going on here. But basically, the impression I get from uh, you know all of all members of Congress with whom I've been communicating is that uh, there just isn't going to be uh, any legislation uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, as Tucker Carlson put it when I was on his show, uh, the Republicans, generally speaking, don't like regulation. So there's a problem. And the Democrats are being helped by these companies, especially Google, not just with money, but with votes. I mean, you know, how do you, you know, how, how do you escape from 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 this uh, you know, this, it's like a puzzle box that, that has no solution. How do, you, how do you get out of this puzzle box? It's, uh... Yeah, I was going to say, one reason we're so, I'm so grateful you could join me today. One reason that we were able to connect was because we heard you, my husband and I heard you speak at a conference. And among the things that I, I understood you'd be talking about was some idea that you could potentially, you, Dr. Robert Epstein, and others with whom you work, you could monitor in the 2020 election cycle, which is now you know impending, it's just on us, uh, at least monitor Google's conduct with the notion of at least sharing with America afterwards all the monitoring in place. Here's how much Google swayed this election. Am I remembering that correctly? That was the idea, and then it's. But you know, even that, even if you did it and you got tremendous proof that there just is an incredible uh, and, and you know, illicit bias in, in search results. I don't know what you still would, or anyone would still want Congress to do. I, I personally, I wish you could come up, not you, but people could come up with a solution that's an antitrust solution. I don't, I know many smarter people than I have talked about trying to look at an antitrust solution, but, but it, describe if you would, what you would do if you had unlimited resources to try to fix this problem. 
Well, first of all, there is no antitrust solution. I guarantee you that. I've been working with the attorneys general for multiple states uh, since 2015, and that's what they're focusing on. That won't work. Uh, there really are no regulatory uh, solutions, and in, in fact, not even any, uh, you know, legislative solutions uh, to this problem. What will work is very aggressive monitoring. In other words, doing to these companies what they do to us. They're, they're, they're surveilling us and our children 24-7 uh, in hundreds of different ways. Most people are unaware of how extensive the surveillance is. Uh, we can do the same uh, to them. And so the, the concept for the 2020 monitoring project is actually far, far, far more ambitious than what you just described um, because uh, we're trying to develop the capability of monitoring uh, these, what these companies are showing people and even what they're telling people through personal assistants, uh, such as Alexa uh, and the Google Assistant and Siri, uh, we're, we are developing the capabilities of monitoring uh, more than a dozen different kinds of uh, very subtle, uh, um, largely subliminal uh, manipulations because Search results, that was my first discovery. I've made quite a number of other ones since then. In fact, I'm now uh, devoting a lot of resources to studying what we're calling a YME or the YouTube manipulation effect, uh, oh. which is which is probably more powerful than any of the other effects I've discovered over the years uh, because 70% uh, of the videos people are watching now on YouTube around the world are suggested by Google's top secret up next algorithm. 70% of the videos people are watching are suggested by Google's algorithm. YouTube is part of Google. That means Google is taking people, millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people every day down rabbit holes. Yep. Uh, and imagine watching a whole sequence of videos that favor one candidate or favor one cause. Uh, imagine the power you have to shift uh, opinions. People have been radicalized uh, by watching a sequence of, of YouTube videos. I mean, that we know for sure. The point is, the 2020 monitoring system, in theory, would not only be studying a very wide range of these manipulations, but we will be analyzing the data, massive amount of data, as it is, a, as it is coming in, as we're collecting it, and we will, whenever we detect irregularities, bias, manipulations of any sort, we will report them perhaps every single day uh, like in the that. months and weeks leading up to the election, we'll report them to the Federal Election Commission, uh, to members of Congress, to the media, and we will get these companies to back off. We can stop them. I know how to do it, but there is a funding problem here, and the, and the coronavirus has, uh, has really gotten in the way. I mean, we were on the verge of having full funding uh, just just a few weeks ago, and everything at this point is on hold. Or as someone told me recently, all the oxygen in in Washington D.C. is now being uh, taken up by the coronavirus. Well, speaking of the coronavirus, we've been talking about Google's manipulation of search results that impact election outcomes, the 2016 presidential, many other elections. But Google could do the same thing in shaping public opinion about the danger of the coronavirus, uh, how well it's being handled by the current administration. Uh, you know, all, they can manipulate public thought on almost any topic. Is that correct? 
Yes, Google is not only a threat to democracy around the world, it's also a threat to human autonomy. We've shown in controlled experiments uh, that biased search results can shift people's opinions about just about anything. We've, we've, done, it, we've done it with uh, uh, attitudes on homosexuality, on fracking, uh, and anything we've tried, we're able, we're able to produce these shifts. As long as people, uh, as long as we're starting out with people who are, un, who are undecided on a particular issue. And of course, Google knows who those people are. Google has histories on us. If you've been using the internet for 20 years, they have more than 3 million pages of information on you. They know exactly on each person. On each person. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Three million pages of information on on each person, including me and including you. Yeah. And they know exactly who the undecided voters are. They know who's going to vote and who's not going to vote. Uh, in each swing state, uh, they're not only doing targeting; they're targeting individuals. They know everything. They know more than people know about themselves. So the kind of targeting no other entity in the world, no other company, no government could possibly do. They're doing targeting at the individual level using subliminal methods that no one can detect and that do not leave a paper trail. The only way to stop them is with aggressive monitoring. Uh, now, whether or not the funding will appear at this point, I don't know. And again, the coronavirus has just just gotten in the way. It's uh, it's really troubling. Oh, it's very troubling. So one last question for you. This is this is fascinating. I'm so appreciate you were able to spend time with us today. So if you're an American citizen who realizes what Google is doing, besides you know people can share this video and tell their friends, is there anything people can do? Because I do think that even people who are really politically engaged and taking the time to look things up on the internet and to understand an issue better or a candidate better. No one likes the feeling of being duped or played or manipulated. So is there anything, and this is a terribly open-ended question, but anything besides supporting your project and letting people know about the project you'd like to undertake, anything people can do to fight back against it? Well, I'm so glad you mentioned support because people can go to mygoogleresearch.com. That's mygoogleresearch.com, and they can learn more about my work, and they can support my research there uh, through that link. Uh, you know, the the main thing at this point, I mean, as individuals, there's not too much we can do. There are ways to use the Internet so you have more privacy, uh, and and I've written about that. I, uh, I explain how to do that at a, a different link, which is my7simplesteps.com. My7simplesteps.com. Is that seven steps. spelled out, S-E-V-E-N? Either way, either way, it should get you to the uh, to the correct uh, article that I've written in, which is about how you can uh, most definitely increase your privacy. In fact, I begin the article by saying that I have not received a targeted ad uh, on my computer or my mobile phone since 2014. So you, oh. you, you, you can use the internet you know, a little differently uh, if you want to protect your privacy and the privacy of your children, uh, that's doable. But these larger issues of, uh, of surveillance, massive surveillance of uh, censorship and, of course, manipulation, uh, those are tough uh, for us as individuals uh, to handle. Uh, you know, and in my opinion, uh, because tech moves so fast, uh, and has, of course, so much power to influence 
you know, our, our nation's leaders, I don't think that regulation or legislation is going to help us very much. I think we, we must set up <clears throat> very aggressive monitoring systems. Uh, monitoring systems are tech. Tech mm -hmm. can keep up with tech, you see? And I, I think we, these systems need to exist around the world, not just to protect us from Google, but from you know, the next Google and the next one after that. Uh, in my mind, that is, that is the ultimate solution to the problem. That's the ultimate protection uh, that we can use uh, to you know, keep these companies uh, in check. Uh, at, the moment, at the moment, as far as I can tell, uh, democracy is little more than an, an illusion because you know, in, in the 2020 election alone, uh, Google and the gang will be able to shift easily 15 million votes to whichever candidate they choose, uh, which means that President Trump, and I'm not a Trump supporter, which means that President Trump uh, cannot possibly win. When you, when you take into account the kind of individual targeting that Google can do, but, you know, in a way no one else possibly can, uh, and the fact that you know 97% of their donations uh, go to Democrats, uh, you know, it, 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 unless a monitoring system is running, which would which would make uh, the election obviously much more fair, uh, and would get these companies to back off, unless there is a you know that kind of system running, uh, uh, President Trump cannot win re-election. It's it's literally statistically impossible. Now, I, I, although I'm not a Trump supporter, let me say, let me say that, you know, under Obama in his second term, Google took over Washington, D.C. Uh, and, and the investigations that were ongoing, antitrust investigations that were ongoing against Google, uh, Obama shut them down uh, literally within the first few weeks of his second term. Uh, by the end of his term, six federal agencies were being run by former Google executives. Uh, now, since what Trump has, has come into office, uh, that's all changed. There are now multiple investigations ongoing against Google and other companies by the Federal Trade Commission, Department of Justice, attorneys general, uh, various committees uh, in Congress. Uh, very, very aggressive, aggressive investigations are in progress under Trump. Uh, the first thing that will happen when the Democrats uh, basically sweep Washington, D.C., is that all of these investigations will be shut down and uh, Google and other companies will consolidate their power and we might never, ever uh, be able to challenge them. Well, I am so glad for the kind of work you're able to do, the talent and skill and knowledge you bring to it so that you can share information like this. Um, I encourage people, uh, again, I want to ask you again, Dr. Epstein, that website they can go to to read more of your research and also to support what you're doing. I would love to have more Americans feel invested, <clears throat> no matter what side of the aisle they're on, but feel invested in trying to insist on uh, legitimacy and fairness and, and to the extent possible, lack of bias in Google. So the one website you said to read your research is mygoogleresearch.com. Dot com. Okay, I love yes. that. And then is that where they can go to support what you're doing also? Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay, love that. And, and Dr. Epstein, I appreciate what you're doing. I, again, I commend your integrity. And I honestly, I think everyone, to me, the sense of being played and manipulated and figuring out later, wait a minute, you know, I, they, they just steered me down a path versus giving me the truth should make many more people want to rise up and, and protest what's going on and support what you're doing. So 
Sir, thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much for a very uh, stimulating uh, set of questions. I really enjoyed it. Same to you, sir. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it too. And that, my friends, was Dr. Robert Epstein. And again, I encourage you, this is an amazingly important issue for Americans to understand, not just because of the 2020 elections, but even moving forward from that, what people think is true about a host of issues, what people think is true about candidates, elected officials, coronavirus, and immigration policy. If you're being manipulated and fed the answers that somebody else wants, you're really being deprived of your own right to research and understand and form your own opinion. So I urge you to support Dr. Epstein. And sir, again, thank you so much. Very welcome. Thank you. The next topic I wanted to hit today, and I'm so glad, I hope you enjoyed that uh, interview with Dr. Epstein. He's really quite, quite an American treasure. Imagine a Hillary supporter pointing out that the Google determines outcomes of elections and tries to give positive results to the Democrats, including Hillary. Great guy, so glad we have him on. I want to turn and talk about this uh, official COVID numbers in America. And I mentioned on Tuesday in this show that I had been part of a call uh, just before we went on air on Tuesday. I've been part of a call with our lieutenant governor in Texas and getting some real straight data from him. And I want to share that data. But first, I want to start just by telling you that, and again, everyone understands that all of us are committed to fighting the spread of the coronavirus. Everyone understands we have to stop the spread of the virus. We have to do what we can to fight the spread of the virus. So we are following all the instructions that everyone by now knows about washing your hands and social distancing and all the things we know to when wiping down surfaces and spraying them, you know, keeping things uh, super clean. Everyone understands this. But we have gotten drawn in to a, an emotional reaction to the coronavirus in large part or in significant part because so many many media outlets are trying very hard to, you, to, in the positive way to say it, you can say the media is trying to be of assistance to the public health officials who are trying to warn Americans to be conscientious, to don't ignore the instructions, follow the rules you're supposed to follow, be careful, all the kind of stuff. So you have well-intentioned people in the public health arena trying to make sure every American understands the seriousness of this virus. And it is new. We don't have reasons. We don't have ways in place in America like we have to deal with seasonal flu because it's a new strain. We don't have the vaccine yet. We don't have enough testing kits. Uh, we don't know if we're going to have a drug. This uh, anti-malaria drug seems to be something that may be helpful. We don't have a drug yet to, for in terms of helping people recover from it. So a lot of unknowns to it and a lot of suspicion about how it got to America, what China's role was. But because all those elements surround the way we are, people are reporting on the coronavirus and surround the way that people in America are receiving the news and handling it. But part of what's happened is an epidemic of fear, an epidemic of panic, an epidemic of saying uh, this vision that we're all going to die and projections created. We talked about this a few days ago in the show or last week, projections created by people who are looking at numbers in other countries that have very different health habits, very different uh, demographic attributes to their populations, such as Italy, where the population is much older on average. On average, more people smoke in Italy, therefore have more uh, lung problems uh, and weakened uh, immune systems. We have all sorts of reasons that data from other countries doesn't necessarily apply 
in total to America. But we have these prognostications in this country that are talking about the spread of the virus. And it becomes easiest for people in authority to go with the most extreme reaction possible because they are told by experts, well, if you don't go with this extreme reaction, and then you do have a really big pandemic and a really big number of people killed uh, who die from it, you know, you're responsible. You're going to be responsible. So the, the safest thing for any elected official in this country, the safest thing to avoid the slings and arrows from the that will inevitably flow from the mainstream media if there there is a bigger problem than we're hoping the the safest thing for elected officials to do is to go with the most extreme measure possible the most extreme so here in texas in our county dallas county we're in the shelter in place rule this exists around the country businesses are shut down and People are reading these uh, prognostications that are based on other countries' experiences and thinking worst case scenario, scenario in America is this, compounded with the, the go-to reaction of anyone in public office is take the safe course. The safest course is the most extreme course to shut everything down. This is what we are watching happen in America, including in America, having, as we mentioned on the show on Tuesday, when Connie Burton was on our show, she is a, the founder of the Texan magazine, but in Dallas County, the information put out by our Dallas County uh, officials who made the decision that we must have a shelter-in-place rule they used data not from the CDC, not from a state official, not from any official source, but, but by a private and, in my view, fear-mongering entity that gave them gi just ginormous numbers of predictions of cases contracted and people hospitalized and people dying. So the safest reaction they felt was to have a pretty much shut down order. I want to introduce in this segment just a few numbers to keep in mind. I am not giving you these numbers because I'm suggesting that we should all ignore the coronavirus. Everyone understands and everyone is following the social distancing and the hand washing and everything else, but it's still permissible for people to have a conversation, to have data points to compare. So the coronavirus, this is data actually from the Center, from Center for Disease Control, the CDC, our official government entity, our government. The CDC is saying in, in, in America, in our country, in America, we have total number of cases, 44,000 people have been diagnosed with coronavirus. 44,000 people. So those are people who've been diagnosed in this country. And this is between, by the way, January 12th and March 23rd in this country. Of those numbers of people who have been, uh, who have contracted coronavirus, uh, now I actually can't find it because I'm trying to do it quickly. Uh, of those people who have contracted coronavirus, uh, we have, as of, um, uh, oh my gosh, this is going to bug me. This is in 54 jurisdictions. Okay, yeah. Total cases in the entire country, 44,000. Total deaths. Total deaths in America that are justifying the shutdown of our economy, 544. 
544 deaths since January through March in this country from coronavirus. I'm not saying those lives don't matter. I'm not saying that I don't care about those deaths. I want, however, to compare those numbers to the numbers the CDC also puts out about the regular flu. The flu, we are in flu season. People get the flu in America every year. So the coronavirus flu, again, 544 deaths. How many deaths do you think there have been in America in this flu season this year? The lowest number, CDC gives a very wide range. The lowest number is 23,000 deaths this year from regular flu. 23,000 regular deaths, deaths from regular flu, and they're actually their ranges 23,000 to 59,000, so big range there. But so somewhere in there, the low end being 23,000 compared with the deaths from coronavirus, 544. And I raise that to say in flu season, everyone knows every year when flu season comes, everyone knows that a, a fewer than half of adult Americans get the flu shot is something like 37% of Americans get the flu shot of adult Americans. And in numerous cases, it's something like half the people who get the flu shot still get the flu. So it, the, the shot doesn't even prevent the flu. We do not shut down the country over these flu cases. We do not shelter in place. We do not close down all businesses. And yet the flu season in America happening right now, far bigger consequence. And in addition to, again, coronavirus, we have total cases in this country, 44,183 to be precise. 44,183 cases of coronavirus. And on the flu virus, in this year, in America, according to the CDC, illness from the flu between 38 and 54 million Americans. Just think about those numbers. And I, again, I feel like I have to say this six times. I am not saying we shouldn't be cautious. I am not saying that we should refuse to follow the protocol to try to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. I am saying if you can't see that the American left is using this coronavirus as a political weapon to clobber President Trump with, they are fine with the shutdown of our economy, shutdown of businesses, this, the grinding to a standstill, the harming of everyday Americans who can't go to work, can't earn a paycheck, can't pay their rent, can't pay their mortgage. We're doing all of that for this relative number at minuscule percentage of people in this country who have even contracted coronavirus. And now I want to share some data from my phone call with a Texas uh, 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 Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, which this was on a call on Tuesday, just a few minutes before we started our show on Tuesday. So we have um, tested um, in, by the way, in terms of our testing in America, we have tested uh, in our country, and I was I was handwriting, you know, with uh, while I was trying to listen to the call. We have tested more people in America in absolute numbers. We've tested more people in America in the last eight days than the country of South Korea tested in eight weeks. We are testing. 
we are making a priority testing for people who are either of a certain age or whatever, I think it's 65 or older, or have a pre-existing condition. But in most places, like in Texas, where you can get drive-through testing, you must exhibit a fever. If you don't have a fever, you can't even get tested. So you have to have a fever, and then you have to fall into one of the categories, which are over a certain age, having some immune deficiency issue, um, and uh, or if you are a first responder type person, you are able to get tested. If you even if you're not in the you know senior citizen or the uh, immune deficiency issues, you can get tested. Point is. Of course, the testing we're going to do now and the next few weeks is going to have the number of cases spike, clearly, obviously, because we're only testing people who already feel sick. We're not testing the broad population. It'd be nice if we could, if we had enough coronavirus uh, you know, uh, test kits around, we could test everyone and that would give us a more conclusive answer. But right now, the bias in testing is the sick people are getting tested. Again, right here in Texas, where we have massive shutdown of Dallas County, we have statewide orders, we have had nine deaths from coronavirus in the state of Texas, nine, nine. And yet we are, we are shut down. We have in 254 counties in Texas, we have uh, we, over 200 of them have zero reported cases of coronavirus. Over 200 of the 254 counties in Texas have no cases of coronavirus. And so we, we have, everyone cares about everyone. We don't want people getting sick, but we need to have our response, and especially our response that shuts down commerce and shuts down a culture. We have to have it somewhere in the ballpark of relevant and relative and, 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 you know, related to, correlated to the actual situation on the ground. Last statistic, at least from that call in the testing in Texas, 99% of people tested got found to be negative, tested, and the answer was no, you don't have coronavirus. I lay these numbers out just to encourage you to not get on the pandemic of fear the outbreak pandemic of panic and fear that is gripping this nation. We are being responsible. We are taking care of people. We do not have to continue the economy being ground to a halt, especially as we're putting into place the kind of measures we are and urging people to understand that we are not actually in this country in the kind of panic uh, that we that we don't need to be in the panic we are. We can be responsible and we can be uh, and, and take great care of our people without shutting down our economy. Last, and I'm almost out of time on the show today, uh, but last topic I want to hit very briefly. I mentioned this on Tuesday, but I thought it was worthy of reiterating. Understand that, and this is not a headline and not a clip from a Donald Trump speech, but you might think it was. The headline says the U.S. was more prepared for a pandemic than any other country on earth. And that headline from Johns Hopkins University. There's been so much effort to politicize the coronavirus in this country, so much effort to use the outbreak in this country as a means, as a justification to attack President Trump, to attack the Republican administration, to belittle our 
precious public health system, which is actually doing a fabulous job. As we touched on a few days ago on the show, we have private companies in America jumping up and saying, hey, we understand there's a shortage of masks. We can make masks. We'll start right away. Other companies jumping up, calling the White House and saying, hey, we'll make ventilators. We can do that. We can adjust our manufacturing. We'll get we're on it. We have private industry jumping into place with American citizens following protocol, doing what they're supposed to do in large part. Yes, there are some people who weren't and they were so close. So, you know, uh, called out on, on media and of all sorts and criticized that I think more and more Americans are following the protocol. Everyone is doing a really good job in our country dealing with this pandemic, this issue of the coronavirus, everyone in the country. I'm telling you from neighbors in our neighborhood, it's probably happening every place in this country. We have people putting out on little community blogs, hey, I'm going to grocery stores. Anyone shut in? Could I run by the store if you? I'm happy to leave groceries on your porch. We have senior citizens tapping into our little blog in our neighborhood saying, hey, I, I kind of need groceries. And I mean, the people are lined up to help. This is a good country full of good people with a fabulous public health system, a wonderful and very responsive federal government, and including especially Donald Trump leading this effort to fight the virus. We are doing well in this country fighting the virus. We need to, of everything we're listening to in this country, stop listening to the left who spends all of their time trying to find some way to parse some new statement by President Trump some tiny excerpt from a speech, some little bit of data to again attack the president. We need more people on the side of America and we need to have the voices of the left who can not stop undermining and delegitimizing and criticizing his president be told from America, we're sick of hearing it. Please stop talking to us. Please stop. America's doing well handling this virus. We're going to continue doing well because we all understand we love this country. We love life. We love our health. We want our senior citizens and those who are vulnerable, everyone to be protected. And we can still have America the great, America the free, America the bustling free market economy and fight this virus. We can do all of that. And friends, um, as I meant to mention, I think I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, this is our, our, um, our effort at doing my show from home because we do have in Dallas, Texas, a shelter in place rule. So, you know, the show, maybe uh, we, we did our best. We're going to continue doing the show Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. We're doing the show. We're going to make it work every day because I love this time with you. I love talking with you every day. I thank you for tuning in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday. Central Time. I love all the ways you can help on social media. I invite you to support this show by subscribing to our newsletter. Go to americacanwetalk.org, click on subscribe. You can subscribe to our newsletter. I'll be happy to send that out. I send out every Friday. Um, I'd love if you subscribe on, if you follow on uh, YouTube, subscribe on YouTube and follow me on Twitter and like our page on Facebook and share the show. This is the way we have the old fashioned in the taverns and town squares conversations we had at the time of the founding of America. 
modern podcast, modern social media. This is how we do it now. Thank you for listening. We're turn right now to talk about why the stories we talked about today matter to you. And so to start our first story for today, we talked about on the show today, the chloroquine death lies. An American man died from ingesting fish tank cleaner with a chemical name that includes chloroquine, but it was not the anti-malarial drug Trump and others have cited. Tragic validation, validation of the age-old wisdom Use only as prescribed by your doctor. But mainstream media headlines suggest death caused by drug touted by Trump. This is mainstream media malice toward Trump on a scale hard to believe. It's inexcusable. It ought to be legally actionable. They are outright deliberate lies. And the lies hurt real people. And they deny what appears to be legitimate hope. Americans must recognize that mainstream media... Trump derangement syndrome is damaging America. Americans must tune out the mainstream media to force accountability. And on the COVID-19 numbers in this country, ponder this data from America's CDC. Regular flu season stats for America in 2019 and 2020 estimated cases between 38 and 54 million estimated deaths, 23,000 to 59,000. That's regular flu. And here we are in the middle of this COVID-19 statistics for America. Again, these are statistics that were available as of March 24th. COVID-19 stats in America, 2019-2020, estimated cases, 44,000 actual deaths, 544. This is a necessary and responsible question. Is a complete shutdown of America of America's economy for this. That's what we're shutting it down for. And last, on Johns Hopkins, U.S. more prepared than all and why it matters to you. We talked about it on Tuesday. I couldn't, I just had to share it again. Be wary of mainstream media themes condemning American response. They're mostly Trump derangement syndrome on display. America woefully unprepared, government response under Trump, pathetic. These are mainstream media attacks on Trump. Preparation is necessarily imperfect for unprecedented challenges. Unprecedented means it never happened before. Improvement is always possible and desirable, but the strength and sophistication of America's healthcare system and our public health system and pandemic response towers over every other country relative to population and geography. Johns Hopkins University, hardly a Trump administration mouthpiece, pronounced America is more prepared for a pandemic than any other country. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. By the way, I meant to mention to also email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. I love the American political conversation about preserving the most precious, extraordinary experiment in human liberty ever to bless this earth, and that is America. And that's why I talk about America on the show every day. I talk about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can you America, can we talk? Truth about America. Can you hear-